Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a four-week Christmas series leading up to the birth of Jesus in which we are looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. Thanks again for joining us. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. It's in the last fourth of your Bibles if you're using a hard copy. And um, Luke chapter 1, if you're using one of the uh, black Bibles that's in a seat rack, hopefully near you, it's on page 830, and it'll be listed up here on the screen if you're turning to it. Um, We're going to continue our series today called The Spirit of Christmas. And we're looking at those times in Luke's gospel, the first two chapters, where the Holy Spirit is associated, he's linked to some of the people that helped prepare for Jesus' first arrival. We saw the first week, John the Baptist. Last week, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Then this week, we're going to look at Elizabeth. And then next week, Steve's going to help us look at a guy in the second chapter named Simeon. So as we look at these different people, we see that he's associated. In fact, if you're following along in the notes, here's what we've been learning. The Holy Spirit helps people welcome Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps people welcome Jesus into the world, into our lives. And um, if you haven't seen this series sentence, this is kind of where we are coming from as we prepared for this series. Here's the series sentence. In this Advent season, we see how the Holy Spirit was actively involved in preparing people for Jesus' first arrival and how he can help us prepare for Jesus' second arrival. That's what's still ahead. So as we think about this, as we talk about the Holy Spirit today, I want to talk with you about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As I think about my whole journey Uh, just walking with God, I think about the process he's been taking me through. Maybe you can relate to this. I remember when I was a teenager that I was introduced to the Lord that way. And um, one of the things I noticed is that some of the people that talked to me about the Holy Spirit scared me. Uh, They scared me the way they acted in public or they scared me the way that they talked about the Holy Spirit. And uh, again, some of it was well-meaning, so some of it had to do with me. But I just remember that I was super cautious and afraid. And over time, again, I had a chance not only to meet other people, it helped me see differently, but also uh, God's gracious, patient work. And so that today, when I think about being filled with the Spirit, it's something that God has continued to teach me. I know I still need to learn more about it, but it's just this process. And I don't know where you are in that whole process, if you're way back at the beginning or you're further, fairly further down the road, but I just am praying that God will use this time today as we get acquainted with Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, and also talk about being filled with the Spirit. Now, before I pray, let me just ask this question. Why do we need this message? Why do we need to learn more about being filled with the Spirit? According to the Scriptures, there's at least two reasons. One, if we live each day of our lives without being filled with the Spirit, we'll waste our lives. We will not live the purpose for which we are made. We'll miss the whole reason that God wanted us to know his spirit living in us. The second reason is is that we will not be ready for Jesus' second arrival. This is the only way that you and I can really uh, be alert and attentive to. The Holy Spirit can help us be ready. He can help us prepare and welcome Jesus. So uh, I don't know about you, but I need this reminder because I don't think anybody in this room wants to waste their lives. 
and I know that I want to live purposefully the way that God intended. So I want to learn everything God has on this subject. So would you pray with me that God will teach us his ways? God, as I was standing in this room, I was just overwhelmed again by the privilege it is week after week to be part of this church family with this group of people. And I thank you that so many of them are eager to learn your ways and often encourage and challenge me to do the same. And I I just pray that you'll use this time as we gather together to teach us from your word that we might not just gain head knowledge, but we might actually grow in our practice of your word. In your name we ask, amen. Okay, so I'm going to read verses 5 through 7 as we think about getting acquainted with Elizabeth. We're going to look first at her life and what we can learn about her, and then we're going to talk about being filled with the Spirit, okay? But notice that she was a person that was filled with the Spirit. So here we go, verses 5 through 7. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, now just notice that this is based in human history. This is not fantasy as some religions are written, this is actually, this actually happened in human history. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, which is really the most important thing of all, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So, as we get acquainted with Elizabeth, notice several things. First of all, if you're following along, like her husband, she's from the priestly line of Aaron. Like her husband, she's from the priestly line of Aaron. Now again, most of us don't have a lot of knowledge about Old Testament history, but you may know that Moses had a brother named Aaron, A-A-R-O-N. And they both were the ones that God designated to go to Pharaoh and tell them, let my people go. Once they had left Egypt, and now they were out in the wilderness for 40 years, God set up a worship system of which... Aaron and all his descendants would be the priest of that. So here's, I list out to the right Exodus uh, 29, 44. Here it is. Here's what God says. So I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priest. So you know what this means? This means, uh, by the way, it says that Zechariah came from the line or the division of Abijah. <clears throat> if you read 1 Corinthians 24, later in Jewish history, David would establish when the temple was built, uh, before the temple was built, a whole system so that all the descendants of Aaron would be able to know when their turn was to serve in the temple. And so uh, we read in uh, 1 Chronicles 24.10 that Abijah was one of those divisions, and that's Zechariah's from, again, a descendant of Aaron. But then we read that Elizabeth was also from the line of Aaron. You know what this means? It means that she was a PK. She was a priest kid. Now, some of you know I'm a pastor's kid, so I'm a PK, but she was a PK, priest kid. What that means is she had an opportunity to be exposed as a young girl to the word of God and to the heart of God. And uh, she had a chance to be part of the people of God. So that's part of her background. Notice the second thing, if you're following along, she seeks to honor the Lord, observing all his commands. She seeks to honor the Lord, observing all his commands. 
You can tell something about her character and her heart when it says that she was righteous in God's sight. That didn't mean she was perfect, but that meant that her whole aim of her life was to honor what God said, to follow what he directed. And when it says that she and her husband observed the Lord's commands, that word observe sometimes can sound passive, like just watched. But actually, it's a very active word. It means to give careful attention to. It means to adapt, adjust to, or conform to something. That means I'm building my life around honoring and respecting what you say, God. So this was her heart. This next line's difficult for me to tell you, but it's part of the story as well. And if you're following along, notice, childless and very old, she's not able to conceive. Childless and very old, she's not able to conceive. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that she wanted to honor God, that she observed the Lord's commands, when I read like verses 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, I don't expect verse 7. Verse 7 starts with this word, but, and what goes next must have been heartbreaking. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. I don't know if you think like I do, but sometimes when I'm reading along in scripture or the way that I sometimes think in my heart and God has to correct me, is God, if I obey you, if I honor you, then everything will line up in my life. You will make it so I won't have to go through deep waters. You'll make it through I never have to go through deep trouble and heartache. But it just isn't so. God has taken some of the most godly people through some of the deepest waters, through some of the hottest fires. And Elizabeth knew what pain was like. Some of you know that we have a lady in our church named Jessica Wilmarth, and you may have appreciated some of the writing she's done over the years for our Good Friday services and some of our other worship gatherings. Uh, I don't think she shared this with me for me necessarily that I had to share it in the service, but she wrote three pages of reflection on Elizabeth. And I want to read an excerpt of what she wrote because I think she just captures in the imagination what Elizabeth might have been feeling. Elizabeth well remembered the confusion and fear she and Zechariah had faced early in their marriage when it seemed like everyone around her began announcing their pregnancies, when they started asking her questions as to why she wasn't pregnant. She recalled the hope that she and Zechariah had clung to for too long and how it had chipped away, sometimes in small pieces, like when her friend had shoved her baby into Elizabeth's hands and exasperation while she chased her older one out of the sheep pen, or when she heard the distant groans of her neighbor as she began her labor, or when month after month her stomach remained flat, her arms remained empty, and her sleep remained uninterrupted. At other times, hope chipped away in quick succession or in boulder-shaped pieces. When she first uttered the word out loud, barren, the look on Zechariah's face when he heard it, she watched hope leave his eyes, knowing that their current reality would actually be their forever future. She remembered when her friend's daughter announced that she was pregnant, when the month came that as an older woman she stopped menstruating at all. Whatever hope had remained within her evaporated or flooded out as tears. Elizabeth had learned to cope with the idea that she would never be a mother. 
It took years to learn how to cope, but she had. What continued to cause her pain was that through it all, she felt unknown, misunderstood. The culture that surrounded her had been conditioned to believe the lie that the absence of children meant something, that perhaps the couple did not follow the law, did not honor God. Elizabeth herself had grown up with that idea. She had just never considered that she would be the one that had to endure the looks of skepticism from the women at the well, that her husband wasn't as respected as the other priests in his division. But Zechariah and Elizabeth knew the truth, and they had to remind each other of it often to protect themselves from letting the lie take hold. They were not barren because of sin. The blood of the ancient priestly line flowed in both of their veins, and they both had devoted their lives to obeying God. It was something they both considered a joy. No, this was not the reason for the absence of children in their house, but it was hard convincing others of that, and it was hard to not spend too much time wondering, why then? Elizabeth longed for an answer. She longed to be known and seen as valuable by the community. It was a deep longing of her heart. And only those of you in our church family that have suffered infertility or have loved ones that have know just how much that breaks you. And it's hard, hard to carry. And Elizabeth had to carry this. But notice, the story goes on, verse 13. And the angel appears to Zechariah when he's serving his time in the temple. And notice, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, if you look over at verse 23 through 25, it says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. You ever wonder why she remained in seclusion for five months? If you haven't been able to have a child and you've known the pain of having your hopes get up and then having them devastated and dropped up like that, then you're very cautious to let other people know that this might be happening. And so for five months, she's in seclusion. And then notice verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. If you're following along, even though she's childless and very old, she's not able to conceive, God does something. Yet she becomes pregnant, if you're following along. Yet she becomes pregnant, just as the angel promised. And then notice her response. After going through that purifying, difficult time, with gratitude, she says, the Lord has done this for me. With gratitude, she says, the Lord has done this for me. She's quick to give him credit. She doesn't say, he did this for me because I'm so righteous. He did this because that's who he is. He decided to do this out of his own grace and power. And then she continues with one more phrase, if you're following along in the notes. He's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace. He's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace. So she's incredibly grateful And while she's going through this, about a month later, Mary uh, has just been told her amazing news, and she eventually now, this is where the story picks up in verse 39. So if you'd follow along with me. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Let me just stop for a second. 
From time to time, when we refer to some people and we say they're from the hills, you know what we mean? They're hicks. And sometimes it's a kind of a denigrating way of talking about someone. Elizabeth was from the hills. A place out of the way, seemingly unimportant. And as Steve talked about last week, God works in the lives of ordinary people. God works in the hills. Last night, I was taking a walk around the circle of my neighborhood, and uh, the cloud cover was thick enough that the moon was trying to shine through but wasn't able to do it really effectively, but it was still pretty out. And I remember walking under that and thinking, here I am, one of seven billion people in the world. Who am I? I live on an ordinary street in an ordinary town. I'm an ordinary person. And yet I had this overwhelming sense from God, I know where you live. I can work in your life. I can work on your ordinary street. I can work in the hills. I care about you. And don't be confused by my ways. I often work in the most unexpected ways, in the most unexpected places, with the most unexpected people. He works in the hills. Verse 40 says this, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you mind reading? I've put that phrase in the first gray box. Would you mind reading it with me one more time so we can see the connection? Elizabeth and the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what that means. Verse 42. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. We talked about this. John the Baptist is already amped up about Jesus. Verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. If you're following along, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, Mary comes to her home. In the sixth month of her pregnancy, Mary comes to her home. Why? We actually get a clue back in verse 36 when the angel is telling Mary that she's going to have uh, the Messiah, a son, who will be the Messiah. And And the angel says this to Mary, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Wow. So Mary, can you just imagine, Mary gets news that's world-shaking, life-shaking, and so what does she do? She thinks, I think the angel told her this so that she'd say, and if you need some encouragement, if you need some empathy from somebody else that just had their whole life shaken up, your relative Elizabeth in the hills, you may want to visit her. So she goes, and when she shows up, she walks in the house and says, Zechariah, Elizabeth, as soon as her voice greets, the Bible says not only does John the Baptist leap in Elizabeth's womb, but also it tells us that the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth. Now, I just want to make sure I mention this as I did a couple weeks ago. In the Old Testament, 
and the early part of the New Testament up until Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit was only given to some people at some times for a specific task. After Jesus ascended and Pentecost happened, he gave the Holy Spirit to indwell every person that puts their trust in him, not just for a short time, but for the rest of our time here on earth until we're with the Lord forever and eternity. Wow, this is an incredible gift. But what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What did the Holy Spirit do in Elizabeth when he filled her? If you're following along, it says at Mary's greeting, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. At Mary's greeting, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what does she do? She blesses Mary and encourages her for believing the Lord. She blesses Mary three times. She says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child that you're bearing. Blessed are you for believing that the Lord would fulfill his word to you. She blesses, very encouraging. And, and she's totally humbled. Who am I that the mother of my Lord would show up and greet me? So she's just full of encouragement. Now, how does the Holy Spirit fill Elizabeth? Makes her an encouraging person to be around. Don't you, do you prefer to be around encouraging, uplifting people like I do? It's, it's tough, isn't it, to be around other kinds of people? And so imagine Mary walking in the house and being encouraged like this. And again, God saw to it that Mary would hear these words. Why does that matter? Again, I'm not going to read any more from Jessica's writing. But Jessica Wilmarth said something interesting. She said, can you imagine how much this encouragement would mean to Mary when weeks and months later, after having Jesus, it would appear that because she'd been a virgin, that she had this child out of wedlock in a shame culture that would have shamed her massively and questioned her heart. Can you imagine that she still was able to hear the words that Elizabeth said under the influence of the Holy Spirit? You're blessed. I know you're getting persecuted right now for obeying God, but you're blessed. He has his hand on your life. You're blessed for believing him that he's going to fulfill his word. Wow. I think it would have really encouraged her. So I want to talk to you about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because as I said to you, the difference now is that you and I live on the other side of the cross, the resurrection and the ascension. That means that if we have put our trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit now indwells every one of us, not just special people, but every one of us, the most ordinary of us that believe and trust in Christ. The question is, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So I want to talk to you about that. And notice that I've put another verse from the New Testament that's there, which is a command. So I want to ask you, if you would, to read this with me from Ephesians 5.18, out loud, full voice. Do not get drunk with wine, which will ruin your life, but be filled with the Spirit. So notice this next section I've entitled, Be Being Filled with the Holy Spirit, because that is the command, that is the literal verb tense of that phrase, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, before I talk to you about what all that means, I just want to take you back to a visit that I had a number of years ago. I've mentioned this before, but Steve and I, a number of years ago, I think about two and a half years after 9-11, went to New York City. And while we were in New York City, we wanted to visit Brooklyn Tabernacle. 
because we had heard about their prayer service on Tuesday night when over 2,000 people gather to pray. It is a powerful thing to experience. So we went that night, and the pastor of the church there, Jim Simbla, talked about uh, some things before we prayed. And one of the things he said is, I want to talk to you tonight about a command in the Bible that most Christians are okay with disobeying. I thought, what's he going to talk about? And then he said, do not get drunk with wine, which will ruin your life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he shared this, he just said, most Christians don't, don't mind if they disobey that. They don't, they don't think it's a command that necessarily applies to them. And I thought, wow, it's got my attention. So what does it mean? Let me just unpack this a little bit. If you're following along, the first thing I want to do is remind you that being filled with the Holy Spirit is the equivalent of being filled with Jesus. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is the equivalent of being filled with Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I talked to you about this, but the night before Jesus was crucified, in John 14, 15, and 16, he talks to his disciples over and over again about the Holy Spirit. And he says, look, I am about to leave the earth in a little while. I'm not going to be here physically in this body anymore after I ascend into heaven. But I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How, they wonder. He says, I will ask the Father and he will send, he and I together will send you my Holy Spirit. We will send you another helper, another comforter, another advocate. And when the word another is used, it's the word that means just like me. So when you and I may have being afraid of being filled with the Spirit, Jesus said, you don't have to be afraid of being filled with the Spirit because he will glorify me. He will remind you of everything I've said to you. He will make me real to you, even when my body is not here on earth, the way you've known me and interacted with me. So you don't have to be afraid because the Holy Spirit has come to make you like me, to remind you of me. He's just like me. Wow, that, that's helped me so much to realize the Holy Spirit wants to help me like that. The second thing, though, is what does the word filled mean? This has helped me to understand this. Filled means to be under the influence or control of. Filled means to be under the influence or control of. Now, let me just go back before I talk to you about this in more detail and just show you two verses from that first line in the section from Acts 16 and Philippians 1. Look at what it says about the Holy Spirit. When they reached the border of Mysia, it's talking about Paul's missionary journey. They tried to go on into Bithynia, but the spirit of who, friends? Jesus did not let them go there. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Jesus. In other words, Jesus was guiding them through the Holy Spirit. And he was just like Jesus. And he said, no, I don't want you to go in that town right now. I've got other plans. I want you to go here. And he guided them. Notice Philippians 1.19. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ, notice that? The spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. This will lead to my deliverance. The Holy Spirit has come to help me like Jesus Christ. And he's, he's going to help me. And your prayers will too. So that's what I want you to see. Now the word filled means to be under the influence or control of. So like, what do you mean? Well, Paul gives the example in verse 18. And he talks about a stimulant that most of us are aware of. And that's wine. Why did he talk about wine? He talked about wine because in Ephesus, the god of wine was the god named Bacchus. 
So these people that had grown up in Ephesus were used to festivals and parties where wine was flowing constantly. And they had learned how to get drunk with the best of them. They thought it was hip and cool to drink as much wine as possible, even being overflowing with wine, where now it is influencing and controlling you. And any of you that have grown up in the home of an alcoholic know that when any kind of alcohol begins to influence and control you or your loved one, you are not living the purpose that God made you for. You are becoming a person different than God intended. And I know that in our culture, it's becoming more and more fashionable to show what we're drinking on Instagram and Facebook. But I just want us to remember that what Paul is saying here is, be careful now that you're a follower of Jesus. Don't let those things influence or control your life anymore. Let the Spirit fill, control, influence your life. And when that happens, you'll be a different person. Now, there's other examples of being filled. I could talk about alcohol or drugs. Those things are certainly popular to talk about. But the Bible says is that we may never drink a drop of alcohol or never take a single drug, but we can be filled with some other things that are different than the Holy Spirit intended. In fact, I've listed out to the right, Acts 14, Acts 13, excuse me, verse 45 It says, when the Jewish leaders saw the crowds, they were filled with what, friends? Jealousy or envy, as some translations say. Now, notice what happens when they're under the influence or control of jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying. He's teaching them about Jesus. And they heaped abuse on him. Was that uplifting? Was that encouraging? Was that a blessing? No way. To be filled with jealousy, to be filled with envy is being under the influence and the control of something we were never meant to be under the influence or control of. It ruins our life. It wastes our life. It gets us away from the purpose God had. But it's possible to be filled with hate and unforgiveness. It's possible to be filled with revenge and regret. It's possible to be filled with worry and fear. It's possible to be filled with lust and greed. It's possible to be filled with anger and hatred. All those things, the pride of life, to be filled with pride, to be controlled by pride, to be filled with self-righteousness or selfish ambition as any of us can be as believers. If we're under the influence and control of that, we will not live the purpose God meant for us to live. So notice this is the command, be filled. So what's be filled mean? To be filled has this ongoing uh, in it. So it means to keep on or be being filled to overflowing. It, It has this idea to keep on or be being filled overflowing. In other words, continue, go on. Let it be continuous in your life. Not just once, but let it become a daily thing in your life. And so when you think about this, what, what does it mean to get to the place where you literally believe you need the Holy Spirit to fill you every day? No matter where you go, no matter who you're with, what would that look like? I'd like for you to imagine what would it look like if you were under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit of Jesus wherever you go, every day. What would happen to the people around you? What would happen? What would they encounter? So when I was reading this week, what really struck me is that Elizabeth 
was filled with the Holy Spirit. But do you know what she had to go through before she was filled with the Holy Spirit? God had to crush her. God had to empty her of all the sense of resources that she had in herself and bring her to the end of herself until she realized her need to be filled with the Spirit instead of anything else. And when he took her through that process, she came out the other side still wanting him. And when God does that, it's a beautiful thing. So what I want us to notice is when it says, be being filled, obviously that sounds somewhat passive, and it is. It's something that we cannot do for ourselves. Like I can't show up today and say, I filled myself with the Holy Spirit. I can't do that. I have to be filled. But notice it's something God does. He's the source. But it's something that you and I participate in. We have a part in it. This is a mystery. And so how are we involved? What does it look like when he does fill us? Well, if you look at Ephesians 5, 19 through 21, this is what it says happens to people that are filled with the Spirit. Encourage each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be willing to serve each other out of respect for Christ. Now this paraphrase kind of misses some of the tense of this. So it says, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll find yourself singing and filling your life with the praises of God. You'll find your life, you'll find yourself thanking God you'll find yourself serving other people and not just thinking of yourself. And so D.L. Moody said that when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, it is power for service. It is power to love. It is power to serve. It is power to obey. It is power to lift up and build other people up. And it is the spirit of prayer. When the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we'll find ourselves wanting to talk to the Lord regularly and say, okay, Lord, uh, guide me. What do you want me to know? Through your Holy Spirit, guide me. And that's just how he works. And so as you think about this, so what's our part? One of the things I've thought about a lot as I've been growing, and one of the battles of my life is what I do with my part. And so this next line is what I'm learning right now, and that is this. I need to monitor my intake. What am I filling myself with? I need to monitor my intake. If I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I can't continue to hold on to selfish ambition. I can't continue to hold on to certain things and let myself be under the influence and control of. If I'm feeding my mind, if I'm feeding my heart, if I'm using my time to take in all these other things that aren't going to help me become more like Jesus, then I have a choice to make. And so, uh, again, You you can take in too much wine, but you can also take in, you know, a certain kind of music that'll have influence or control of your life. Just give you an example. When I was a teenager and started to walk with Jesus, what I had learned is that up to that point, I knew all the top 40 song lyrics from WLS out of Chicago radio. I mean, if they came on, I could immediately just sing all of them. I was amazed at my memory that I was able to grasp all those songs, right? Then I realized that if I was ever in trouble or in a foxhole somewhere, the words to Philadelphia Freedom by Elton John were not going to help me. Good song. But I was, if I filled myself with music like that, it wasn't going to help me be filled and controlled and influenced by the Holy Spirit. And so I began to fill my mind and my heart with the praises of God. And I noticed a change in me, and so do people around me. 
but I've noticed you can binge on Netflix. You can watch sports till the cows come home because there's so much good sports on, and I love sports, but I've noticed that it dulls me if that's all I do for hours and hours and hours. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God shall he live. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Am I feeding myself with the word of God, his truth, his ways? So as we think about all this, friends, monitoring my intake, what am I watching? What am I reading? What am I listening to? What am I feeding myself with? Sometimes, friends, I can get way off the map. So let me just speak for a moment before I talk about the last line in the notes to you about this. If you're like me, there's not a week that goes by as you walk with Jesus that you don't feel defeated at some point in the week. I mean, there's days I get up and I just say, okay, Holy Spirit, please influence and control me today. I want to learn how to walk with you. And then sometime in the, in the week, sometimes more than once a day, all of a sudden I'll talk rudely to my wife or I will handle something in total arrogance and pride. And when that happens, I just want to go, I give up. This is just hard. And there's a tendency in me to believe that, that means that I guess I can't be one of those people filled with the Spirit. But that would be a wrong understanding. It's at that moment that the Holy Spirit is showing me that, not to condemn me, but to swing me back his way and say, now this is a perfect opportunity to be under the influence and control of me instead of the way you just were five minutes ago. Make right whatever you have to make right with other people, but let them see that I can get a hold of you, that I can control and influence you differently. And it's that kind of repentant spirit that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Praise his name. It's what gives me hope. So here's the last question. Here's a prayer that you can pray if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit regularly. Father, will you please fill me with your Holy Spirit? Will you please fill me and keep on filling me with your Holy Spirit? Jesus, when he was teaching one day, I've listed this out to the right in Luke 11, said this in his teaching. I find this absolutely fascinating. So I tell you, continue to ask and God will give to you. Continue to search and you will find. Continue to knock and the door will open for you. Yes, whoever continues to ask will receive. Whoever continues to look will find, and whoever continues to knock will have the door open for them. Now notice how he makes this go to a whole different way with the Holy Spirit. Do any of you have a son? What would you do if your son asked for a fish? Would any father give him a snake? Or if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Of course not. Even you who are bad know how to give good things to your children. So surely your heavenly father knows how to give the Holy Spirit to the people who ask him. So let me take you back to Brooklyn, New York. So the service ended that night. And Jim Simblis said, now I know there's a lot of people here, but I want you to gather. I want you to pair up. By the way, I'm not going to do that to you, but this is something you could do at home. So he had us pair up, and I remember I was standing next. He said, I want men with men, women with women. And so I was standing across from a guy from the West Indies who had transplanted to New York City. I remember he had a beautiful accent. And so we put our hands on each other's shoulder, and he said, I just want you to pray one sentence. Father, fill this person with your Holy Spirit tonight. And as I prayed that, 
I realized it wouldn't be the last time I would need to ask because he wanted me to learn dependence. He wanted me to learn how to continue to realize he was the source. But I remember thinking, this is how to walk every day. And so I'm learning how to say, Holy Spirit, help me love Jesus. Holy Spirit, help me obey. And I'm learning how to walk with him. So I want to just ask if you'd bow your heads. Michelle's going to play. And I want to ask if you'd be willing to talk. If, if you'd be willing to do what Jesus taught. Would you be willing to say, Father, would you please fill me with your Holy Spirit? I realize how much I need your Holy Spirit. Some of you are going into a season with Christmas of profound grief, of deep loneliness, of a time where everything seems like the lights have gone out and you're going through a dark night of the soul. Some of you are facing family tension in the next few weeks that has you deeply concerned. Some of you have situations at school or work or home or in your neighborhood that you don't know what to do. Would you be willing to ask the Father to bring you yet again under the influence and control of his precious Holy Spirit? Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.